Say hello. Hello. You're listening to A Little Birdie Told Me, a Winnie Wagtail podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Gundalak. I'm a mum of two and registered midwife. And throughout this series, I'll be speaking with experts in their fields. I'm asking the questions we're all wondering as we fumble and find our way through parenthood. On today's episode, Amberly Harris on breastfeeding. When you fall pregnant, it's very normal for the next nine months to be spent dreaming of your baby being home with you earthside, picking baby names and imagining what your labor and birth is going to be like. It's not uncommon for breastfeeding to be a bit of an afterthought, something to tackle once baby has arrived. Breastfeeding is amazing, but it's hard work. And for many women, ceasing breastfeeding can come down to an uncertainty of what's going on and feeling unsupported. The World Health Organization recommends exclusively breastfeeding babies until around six months of age and from six months onwards, breastfeeding alongside food for up to two years or longer if you feel that's right for you and your baby. In Australia, 96% of mothers initiate breastfeeding, which is a phenomenal statistic. However, from there, the stats drop off a bit. 39% of babies are still being exclusively breastfed to three months and yet if you look at one-year-olds one in ten babies are still being breastfed in the u.s 60 percent of mothers say they don't breastfeed for as long as they had intended to so we need to have a closer look at this we need to be seeing how we myself as a midwife can be supporting women longer to help them achieve their breastfeeding goals One midwife filling these shoes is Amberly Harris from Maternal Instincts by Amberly. Amberly is a privately practicing midwife and breastfeeding consultant. I spoke with Amberly earlier. Hi, Amberly. Hi, Rosie. How are you? (laughs) I'm well. Thank you so much for doing this today. So I thought we'd just jump straight in. What is it that you do? Yeah, I'm a midwife in private practice. So I um, have done some additional study as a midwife to become what's called an endorsed midwife. So I can give Medicare rebates, I can order diagnostics like pathology or ultrasound, and I have prescribing rights. So I can prescribe medications um, if mothers need pain relief or antibiotics, you know, for mastitis or things like that. So um, yeah, yeah, my scope of practice is within mainly the first six weeks all my packages are based around, um, which is all obviously when midwives um, specialize in breastfeeding support. Um, I do work with many, many mothers like beyond that, um, but that's what I kind of specialize in is in that initiation phase of breastfeeding. Yeah. Oh, good on you. That's awesome. So um, I threw it out on Instagram yesterday for any sort of questions breastfeeding wise um, to ask you. And I was inundated with women with lots of questions. Actually, I got a couple of questions that were just, do I really need a a nursing bra. <laughs> right. Do you think? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so surprised by this. I was like, is this something that we needed to discuss? But um, I reckon about eight or nine women wrote in about it. And I thought, oh, look, I'll throw it out to you. I don't think women need a, to necessarily have a nursing bra, but um, just easy access to your boobs. Do you agree? 
So the difference between regular bras and maternity bras is generally it's the underwire. So uh, underwire is not recommended for mothers that are lactating because it can put pressure on your milk ducts and it can block them. Um, or Increase cause mastitis yeah, and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that first, firstly is, yes, important as why, um, you know, not having underwire. But you can achieve that by maybe buying a maternity singlet or something like that. Um, the reason Crop tops. Yeah, exactly. Um, the reason singlets are good is because you can kind of wear them under any of your clothes in your wardrobe. You don't have to be thinking, is everything in my wardrobe breastfeeding friendly? Like, is it buttoned down the middle so I can easily get to my boobs? Um, you don't have to do that if you're wearing like maybe a singlet underneath because you can just pull your top up um, and then just unclip the bra part and breastfeed and your tummy's covered, which is good with the singlet. Whereas if you're just wearing like a maternity bra, you're not going to feel comfortable probably uh, in public pulling your whole top up and showing your whole tummy section and breastfeeding. So that's why I find you don't necessarily have to buy the bras, but maybe the feeding singlets you might, mothers get a lot more use out of, I find. Um, But yeah, otherwise definitely easy access to your boobs is why the clip is very handy. Yeah, that's great advice. I always used to say to women too, um, it's not a bad idea to go and get fitted for one just because your breasts do change in size throughout pregnancy and then once your milk comes in and you sort of gauging your new breast size can be a bit tricky when you're trying on bras on your own if you don't really know what you're doing. Mm. So even if you just go and get fitted for one and um, then, you know, whether you buy it or not, it's a different story, but then you sort of know your size and you can sort of gauge what you do from there. Yes, I completely agree. Perfect. Um, so uh, next question, cluster feeding, am I producing enough milk? Mm, yes. So cluster feeding is a very normal event and it's something that babies are very smart and babies know that cluster feeding helps them bring in more milk. It sends very specific signals to the milk making cells in the breast to say, I need my mum to make more milk right now. Like I'm more hungry. Um, and typically that happens in later in the day, sort of in the afternoon slash evening. And that's just because no, the normal process of milk production means that we make our milk at night when we sleep and then we wake in the morning, we have the most amount of milk available. And then as the day wears on, we have less milk available. So our babies cluster feed because they know that there's not as much milk there. So they sort of try and encourage more milk to be produced. Um, and it's actually really important for the way they grow as well. It's it's all um, yeah a science behind it, I guess. It's all a very intelligent system. So um, it's easy for mothers to doubt their milk supply with cluster feeding, but I think what's more important is to look at ways that your baby is well hydrated as opposed to thinking, okay, well, is there something wrong if my baby's cluster feeding? Because that's actually very normal newborn behavior. Couldn't agree more. My babies always seem to time their cluster feeds with Hot Seat Millionaire, which I used to love because when I got to sit down and, and watch Who Wants to move, Be a Millionaire, which yeah, perfect, <laughs> and got me out of cooking dinner, which is also nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you prescribe to speaking about baby hydration? This is probably a good segue. Do you prescribe in those sort of first five days to how many days old is the minimum amount of wet nappies a baby? should be producing so say day two minimum two wet nappies day four minimum four wet nappies just so mums can gauge hydration as their milk comes in I do definitely yep that's a really great way to assess that your baby is getting good volumes and that's exactly how it happens on day one they do one wet nappy on day two they do two day three they do three and it goes up like that until your baby's a week old and then they'll do six to eight wet nappies in 24 hours is a normal out 
input for a breastfed baby. Um, so that's something that you would assess. The other thing that can happen is babies can get something called urates, which are little crystals that form in the bladder when babies are dehydrated. And it's quite normal for them to be dehydrated in those first few days. So the crystals are like a brick red color, which kind of looks like blood, but it's not blood. Yeah, but a it's- bit rusty. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and it's always important to have someone check that, just say to your midwife, can I just show you this nappy? Is this just the urates? Um, and yeah, as I said, very normal in the first few days, not so normal when your baby's like a week old and your milk should be in by then. Um, but urates in those first few days is nothing to worry about. It's nothing that needs treating. Um, it's just what happens with, um, yeah, that normal sort of increase in, in urine as a mother's milk comes in. And when will a mum's milk come in? Sort of around what day um, should we, should someone expect that to happen? Yeah, so depending on the type of birth can affect milk production. Um, but generally as this really obvious event where they kind of wake up and they feel like they've had breast implants and their boobs are ginormous. And then there's other mothers that they have this experience of their breasts filling over many days. So they don't notice it as such an obvious a thing, but they still definitely have their milk come in. So there's no right or wrong. It's just everybody's experience is different, but definitely the birth will affect milk production. So Um, If you think of like a normal vaginal delivery, for example, there's been this fantastic, especially if the labor's been um, initiated spontaneously, the mother's just gone into labor on her own. um, There's this fantastic orchestration of hormones that happen where um, labor peaks and then the um, baby's born. And then after the delivery of the baby, the placenta is delivered. And so that the, 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 what's responsible for that is hormones. It's actually makes our uterus contract and deliver the placenta. And then our body has these amazing signals to say, my baby's been born, I need to start making milk now. Um, so while this still happens for um, a mum who's had a cesarean, it's a different experience with these hormones. So the, you know, obviously the placenta gets literally just lifted out of the uterine cavity. There's not that exchange of hormones. And so it just means that there can be a delay in milk production. So for a mum having a cesarean, it might be a few days later that their milk comes in, um, which is still fine. It doesn't mean that your baby's not getting enough milk because your baby gets colostrum in the first few days before the milk comes in. So there's nothing again that you need to fix if um, your baby, yeah, you're checking your baby's wheeze and poos. They seem well hydrated. Their weight loss is within the normal range. Um, Then, yeah, you just hang tight and know that milk production will come when when it's, it's it's on its way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Antenatally, um, do you encourage um, all women to hand express just because, you know, birth is so unknown and, um, you know, you, you don't really know the path um, it may necessarily take um, with hand expressing? Not only does it sort of help teach you about your boobs and sort of get you thinking in that sort of breastfeeding sphere, you know, can also be a great way to sort of start learning how to express colostrum if you were to need it say you 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 know were separated from your baby and baby had to go to nursery do you encourage it for all women or just for um, women with diabetes I do encourage it for all women. So the study that's been done, exactly as you've alluded, alluded to there, is um, has been from women with gestational diabetes um, and it was 
La Trobe University, um, and they found that, yeah, by hand expressing in pregnancy, it reduced the tra- chances of those babies requiring a special care nursery admission. So um, that was a really big positive that came from the study. Um, the thing for me, though, is I think it's hugely beneficial for all mothers to learn how to hand express in pregnancy. Um, and while some of that is... is um, a way to measure it is tricky because, of course, they've done the study and they didn't actually find that it increased milk production per se. Um, but in my experience, because I have all my clients do this from 37 weeks, as long as they're obviously well, you do need medical clearance before you start hand expressing um, because even though it's unlikely, there is a very slim, slight chance that it could trigger premature labour. Um, yeah. So that's why it's important to, yeah, just get clearance from your healthcare provider. But, yeah, basically um, uh, in my experience, experience there's very strong anecdotal evidence that mothers who learn how to hand express in pregnancy bring in this fantastic milk supply um firstly colostrum but then also yeah when their milk comes in as well and yeah exactly as you just said it 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 makes there's so many benefits to hand expressing i guess the first one is you learn your body you learn Mm. how to actually remove the colostrum without having to rely on someone. Say you do need to do this after your baby's born, where you're not thinking, oh, I've got to wait for a midwife, someone's got to teach me. It's not exactly a very fun thing having someone else come on and um, hand express your boobs necessarily. Yeah, completely. Sometimes it can be all right. But, yeah, there's plenty of others that I hear say, yeah, it's it's really uncomfortable. Um, So, you know, amazing if you can learn how to do it for yourself. Uh, The other great benefit is that it brings confidence. Like if you can see in pregnancy that your body is Mm. already making colostrum, you just get such this huge boost from it. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. It's here all along. And I think women go into their breastfeeding journey with this different, yeah, like um, enthusiasm and motivation that I'm going to be able to do this. Like, this is going to be great. Um, And then, yeah, of course, if you've managed to collect some volume before you go into hospital, if your baby needs topping up at any point with some something extra, you have it. You don't need to think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Um, you've already managed to take in, even if it's a couple of meals, maybe it's more than that, whatever it is, it's great. So, so many benefits to learning how to hand express. Does my baby wake up at night because I'm breastfeeding? So I, I guess this question means, you know, will my baby sleep better if they're bottle fed on formula than if I'm breastfeeding? Sure. So yes, your baby would sleep differently if they were being um, bottle-fed formula, um, and it's to do with the gastric emptying time. So with breast milk, there's about 90 minutes it takes for breast milk to be broken down in a baby's tummy, and that's 90 minutes from the start of the feed. Because if you imagine, as soon as your milk hits your baby's tummy, they're starting to break it down already. With formula, depending on the type of formula, but most formulas on the market are cow's milk based. So the size of the protein molecules is much bigger than what's in breast milk. So, and that's just because it's, you know, it's from a much bigger species than ours. So what it means is that the the gastric emptying time is, is three times longer than breast milk. It's about four and a half hours it takes for a baby to break down formula in their tummy. So yes, babies who drink formula are more likely to sleep longer stretches than the breastfed baby. 
But I guess the thing to remember with that um, is that there's a theory about the rates of SIDS in breastfed and formula-fed babies. And we know that breastfeeding is classed as a protective measure or a preventative measure against SIDS. Um, and some of that, um, this is all a theory. We don't definitely like definitely know, but um, one yeah. of the theories is to do with this gastric emptying time that because SIDS is linked with a reduction in oxygen. So for the breastfed baby, they reach that 90 minute mark and they feel hunger. So they cry and they take in big breaths of oxygen and they come out of that sleep cycle. Whereas for the formula fed baby, sadly, you know, they won't feel that hunger. They're going to still have the milk in their tummy. And so they're more likely to sort of sink into a different sleep cycle. And, and yeah, devastatingly, that's why we think that the rates are higher in formula fed babies. So I guess I'm explaining that not to worry anyone um, if you need to use yeah. or, you know, for whatever reason, it's a better fit. But I guess I'm saying that too for the mothers that are super sleep deprived that are breastfeeding and maybe are having someone say to them, well, you could get more sleep if you formula fed. Yeah. Um, I think what's important to remember is that frequent night wakings is part of the survival of our species. It's actually a really important that it is that protective measure um, against SIDS. And yeah, it, it is, it's exhausting. And and it does end. It does yes, end. Exactly. It's exhausting, mm. but you're so right. It's a season. Um, our babies are supposed to do this. It's very normal um, and it does get better. Exactly. Um, I'm going back to work soon. When should I start pumping? Mm-hmm. That's the next question. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So the the thing is probably more um, how many days of work are you going back to week? How old is your baby? Um, there's a lot to sort of work out with that, um, whether it's your baby open to drinking from a bottle or a sippy cup or is your baby not interested in doing that and you yeah <laughs> my babies didn't like bottles <laughs> neither did mine no. <laughs> so um sometimes yeah. we can put this pressure on ourselves that I've got to express a certain amount and I need to consider you know the same amount of feed that my baby has when we're together um and we can try and stock up all this express breast milk and our babies don't take it anyway. So I don't really have like a hard and fast rule with that. It's very personalized with the mother and the baby. Um, But I guess the other thing to remember as well is your milk changes in taste, whether it's freshly expressed or it's been in the freezer and you've had to defrost it. So if you build up this stock in your freezer, your baby may not drink it. You may be better off just expressing, um, you know, that morning and sending some milk. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of variables with that that I um, would just say that you probably need to look into. Uh, and I do a lot of appointments actually for that exact topic. Um, so mother yeah. like, okay, well, yeah, if my baby is drinking from a bottle and they're this age, then, uh, you know, I can sort of work out, well, they're probably going to be drinking around this many mils and this is how much you need to send. Yeah, that's a good point. And also I used to say to women as well, you don't need to have a stock for, you know, three weeks. Mm. You know, you can just have enough for the first day back or the second day back because you will be pumping at work. So you can take all this pressure off yourself and just, you know, have a day ready and give it a go, see how it works um, and lie the packets flat in the freezer. So the rather than standing them upright, you can fit so much more in your freezer down the track if you are building up a little bit of a stockpile, if you lie them flat. That was always a pro tip I learned over in Hong Kong with um, all the mums um, expressing when they went back to work, they all used to lie it all flat. I thought, oh, that was a good tip. I it never is. thought about that. Perfect. Nor have I. And that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. So there are so many apps out there asking, um, you know, women, you know, what side breast for yeah. how long have I fed to time or not to time feeds mm. is the next question. So you can time feeds, but not in a way that you think that you always have to be there for that long. So what I usually say is that in the first few weeks, babies develop a bit of a passion and they do, while they do have, you know, cluster feeding periods or they want to snack feed um beyond that they do sink into a bit of a passion where if we let a baby stay on the breast for as long as they want they will develop an average as to how long they feed for so you would use that information like if your baby i don't know likes to feed for 20 minutes on the first side or maybe your baby feeds for half an hour or they take 40 minutes to drain the first boob so you would use that information the time but you would also want to be checking your breasts and feeling them before during and after a feed and being able to say well okay does my boob feel well drained does it feel like my baby's finished and if they haven't then maybe you're going to look at the time and go, well, I know you normally feed for half an hour and you've come off and my boob still feels quite full, so I'm going to put you back on. So I always say, you know, when you're trying to work out how long does your baby need to feed for, you want to sort of monitor the time and have that as a a piece of information, but it's not your everything. It's also, well, how does my boob feel? Has my baby finished on this side and is the feed finished or am I going to offer the second side? Yeah, it's, it's about bringing those two pieces of information together. Yeah, fabulous. Um, next question. What do you think are the most important things we can do antenatally to learn and prep for breastfeeding? Besides engaging your services, of course. <laughs> I have a, to- a top five tips video on my website. So okay. I'll, I'll just go through those because I probably that I think that's the best place to start. So yeah, of course. Um, is to these are ideally obviously everyone's story is different but ideally if you can let your baby choose its own birthday and that's just because of the benefits that that will play in your breastfeeding relationship if your baby is is term and ready to adapt from womb to world they're going to be more likely to be a keen breastfeeder as opposed to you know an induction or an elective cesarean where we maybe we don't quite know the exact dates or maybe you do know the dates but nonetheless we know that a baby that triggers their own labor um, is going to be more interested and motivated to breastfeed so that's the first one um, the second yep. one is, yes, yeah, similarly to that sort of concept is if you can aim for a normal physiological labor because of the benefits that will play, just going back to what I was talking about before, about like the trigger of the birth of the placenta and that the hormones. Will, yeah. Yeah. So breastfeeding yeah. is very hormonally driven. So if we can allow a lot of that to unfold naturally, it's going to be a great thing for, for the, you know, the long run of our breastfeeding and the other side of that is, of course, you know, if there's medical interventions with the labor, sometimes we can't avoid them. Sometimes we, you know, we know we're going to need an elective cesarean and, and that's okay. Like none of this is beyond repair. Um, but of course, um, yeah, I'm just saying like, if you can um, ideally avoid those medical interventions that are going to affect your breastfeeding in different ways. Um, so then number three is learn about the breast crawl. The breast crawl is a sequence that all babies do. It's been very heavily studied. They actually go through the same sequence every time um, at that first breastfeed. And if you can allow the breast crawl to unfold organically um, and give your baby like up to an hour, maybe even longer to do the breast crawl and self-attach. And if you don't know about the breast crawl, definitely do some research. Look up. what It's magical. Like. Definitely <laughs> look it up, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. And I've seen it that many 
times and yet it never gets old. Like it's amazing to yeah, it's so gorgeous. Yeah, use their instincts and find their own way to the breast. So yeah, look up the breast crawl and have it in your plan or your birth wishes or whatever you want to call it to let your baby do the breast crawl and self-attach at the first breastfeed. Number four is avoiding, if you can, dummies, bottles, and formula, just because mainly dummies and bottles in the first six weeks, because they are known to negatively impact the breastfeeding relationship. Um, And then formula is probably not just in the first four weeks, but um, sorry, six weeks. um, But, you know, thinking more about just the whole, the long-term breastfeeding. um, And yeah, if you want exclusively breastfeed, obviously that's going to increase your chances of having a successful journey. Um, and then number five is um, is employing help. Yeah, you know, seeking professional support. And you know, everyone we're all we all connect to different people. So even if you need to work through a few different people, but find someone you connect with and that you trust and that you can build a rapport with. Maybe even recruit their services. Like I, I book out with package clients. I'm booked up until November. Um, so I, I only take on three package clients a month. So the cool thing about employing someone in advance is that then they're going to be there for you when you need them breastfeeding is not something that you as a mother are expected to know everything about so it's no not at all yeah Mm. to um to to seek help just to to be able to go somewhere and be like I need support with I don't know what's going to come up so I want to be really you know forward thinking and um and to employ help because yeah again statistically if you've got that professional support and personal support support in your social circle and your your family network then you're more likely to go on and successfully breastfeed yeah they're great great tips I think it's also important to remember too that you know between babies your breastfeeding can be so different like with my first baby I had a 41 weeker big buffy boy that jumped on and basically didn't want to get off um and then I had a little 37 weeker who was so sleepy at the breast um got jaundice I was engorged I got mastitis and I was like what is going on and I I think it's it's that really surprised me having had such a smooth journey first time around and then sort of I was sort of hiccup after hiccup after hiccup for the first couple of weeks Mm. second time around so I think it is really good for those second time and third time mums out there um to also sort of refresh um keep an open mind to journeys aren't all the same and every baby is different so revisiting those antenatal tips um before you have your second and third is also a a good thing to do yeah I completely agree and that's the thing I think some mothers when they're having their subsequent babies and they've had that successful easy journey in the the past um that can really sort of shock them I guess I can overwhelm them when sometimes things aren't going as smoothly um but yeah you're absolutely right it's like you know every birth is different every breastfeeding relationship is different as well and it's just you know we take time to learn to figure each other out as mother yeah learning each other Mm, yeah Yeah. All right. So one last question. I've got weaning off nipple shields. What should I do first? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess the first thing is why was the nipple shield introduced in the first place? Um, You know, the main reasons are that mothers, well, the correct use of a, a, a nipple shield really and why they've been designed is for mothers with less prominent nipples, um, that it's hard for the baby to grab hold of the mum's nipple and draw it back to the soft palate. Because if you consider your nipple lengthens three times its normal length for, for your baby to get it back to the soft palate. So if babies are having trouble, 
trouble attaching and getting on properly, um, then that is a really appropriate use of a nipple shield. But um, in what I'm finding now is there's this huge amount um, of mothers that are using a nipple shield for nipple damage, that they're, yeah. they've got really sore nipples. and, and so, I have seen that too. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, I always want to know, yeah, why was the shield introduced? Is, that, is this something that your baby's having trouble with attachment or is it that you were having damage? And, and let's figure out what was the damage about? Was your baby not getting on properly? Is this because just of your skin type? Because everyone has a... A different experience with with damage and then healing as well depending on our collagen and the elastin in our body and all of that um, but generally um, not knowing what it was about um, I find the best age to start phasing out a nipple shield is from about four weeks of age so I sort of set mums a task to start working on it every day from the time their baby reaches sort of four to five weeks of age um, and just make it a plan to start actively working on removing it from there um, because if you try and do it earlier on babies just they aren't big enough you know like they they haven't grown enough in the jaw to be able to successfully get on properly. So the, the beauty of waiting until they're at least four weeks, even five, six weeks, um, is that they're bigger. And so they are going to be more skilled at getting on properly without the shield. Um, but I guess the other side of that is just remembering that um, – you know, it takes time and, um, and it's, it's not something that just happens overnight. Phasing out a nipple shield takes weeks. It takes a couple of months for some mothers. Um, but you want to get onto it. You don't want to just reach a point where you're, you know, a couple of months into your breastfeeding journey. And then you think, oh, I should probably work on phasing this out because babies get set in their ways. <laughs> some of them just get to a place where they flat out refuse to breastfeed without the shield. So a younger baby from sort of four, weeks onwards is going to be more easily persuaded to practice without a shield yeah so that's I think the main thing is don't leave it too long um, and I guess the other side of that is why why do you need to phase out a nipple shield a lot of people are like well if it's worked for me for so long what's the problem um, the main thing with that is just that we know long term mothers who use a nipple shield long term um, statistically they don't go on and breastfeed for as long as a mother who doesn't use a nipple shield um, and that's because when you look back at their journey they there's a much higher rate of challenges with maintaining a full milk supply um, and they they get they're more likely to get mastitis or block ducts and it's just because of that barrier that the shield is in preventing a baby from effectively draining the breast so it's one of those things that it's great for a tool and it is yeah. meant to temporary be solution. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, yeah. so many mothers I meet don't get told that. They don't get told it's temporary. It's um, mm. it's just something that they just get sent home using. Um, and then, yeah, they encounter the block ducts or the mastitis or they, you know, they're having challenges with their supply and they're like, why is this happening? And then I'll meet them a couple of months in and go, okay, well, yeah, did anyone talk to you about when was the sort of that golden time to phase out the shield? And quite often they don't know. So I think it's important to know that. Know that it's temporary. Know the why you would try and phase it out and why it's important to get on top of it as soon as you reach that sort of age. Mm. Fantastic. All right. So let's jump into some true or false myth busting um, 60 <laughs> seconds on the clock. I've got a couple sure. of questions. I'm going to try and speak nice and fast. So um, you can like to say true or false or yes or no, and we'll try and bang out a couple um, to finish okay. up today, Amberly. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, let's do it. Um, the more you feed, the more milk you'll produce. True or false? True. 
After you've seen the yellow poo come in, a breastfed baby doesn't need to poo every day and that's okay. True. Breastfeeding has more roles than just feeding bub. It can be for reassurance, closeness, etc. True, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> you can breastfeed with breast implants. True. Um, babies under six months need a bottle of water. False. You should wean once babies get their teeth. <laughs> False. Fenugreek helps to increase supply. It can. Uh, for, for some women, it doesn't work for everyone. The darkening of our nipples is so baby can find them to feed as newborns. True. Delaying the first bath helps breastfeeding. True. I've got small boobs. Does that mean I won't produce as much milk as someone with big boobs? False. I don't have enough milk on day one. True or false? False. A baby's stomach in the first two weeks grows with their mother's milk supply. True. My mother said she didn't make much milk, so I won't either. False. Um, how much I express is a good indicator of my supply. False. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for doing this today, Amberly. I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat. Uh, we really appreciate all you're doing for the breastfeeding journey. I know you've got the 662 movement. Do you want to quickly speak about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my whole work um, and my movement is kind of based around the World Health Organization guidelines for breastfeeding support. So my 662 movement is broken down into those three milestones. The first one being my content and my packages and all the work that I do. Um, my motivation is to help women learn how to breastfeed over the first six weeks. That's the first six. Um, and in the hope that by doing that, they can go on and follow the World Health Organization guidelines, which is exclusive breastfeeding for the for six months and continued breastfeeding until their child turns two or beyond. So that's what mm -hmm. my hashtag 662 was about. And um, yeah, just giving mothers the information really just to understand why breast milk plays a role in their child's life over those three key milestones. And, um, and if it's working for them and their baby, then helping them achieve that. Fantastic. Oh, I'm all for it. I think it's fabulous. Thank <laughs> okay. you so much today, Amberly. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. That was Amberly Harris from Maternal Instincts by Amberly. Amberly has been gorgeous enough to give me a code today for $20 off her online breastfeeding antenatal education videos. The link is in today's podcast description.